Hi, and welcome to Follow's weekly message podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message inspires you and helps you to follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. Uh, Today's Bible reading is Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 to 28, and Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Thank you, Charlie. Marie and Charlie have done a great job this morning, and it's just really good to see Charlie up the front. Yeah, pre-COVID. Yep. Pre-COVID, he was about this tall, and he said, Hi, I'm Charlie. And now he's like, hello, everyone. Welcome to the service. <laughs> hello, at the church. And so it's been amazing to see what's happened in the last 12 months, mate. It's really good. But you mentioned mathematics before and the fact that you've got a test this week. And I was thinking about that this week. And when I was in high school, I was never someone who was given a mathematical brain. It just wasn't a strength that I had. I never enjoyed maths class. In fact, my nightmare was a double period of maths on a Wednesday afternoon. You know, one period is like torture. Uh, you know, two periods is just like a complete nightmare. And I really didn't enjoy that at all. Um, in fact, I didn't enjoy many classes at school, if I'm completely honest. Uh, I did like PE. And I liked home ec, not the theory, the ones when you cooked and you ate at the end of the period. They were my favourite classes. And so school was not really my kind of thing as a young guy. But if I had to rate the very worst to the best, I would definitely start the very worst for me was maths. But when I was at school every year, they had this maths competition called the Westpac Maths Competition. I don't know if any of you remember that, but it was a competition that we were all entered into by some sort of mathematics dictatorship. Like, you didn't have a choice. Everyone did the Westpac Mathematics Competition. And so every year we would do it, and most years we'd do the test, and then there'd be no surprise when the high achievers were announced. Uh, All the names you expected were called out. They were the high achievers, and it was no surprise that my name was not within that list on a regular basis. So that was all until year 10. Year 10, everything changed because the Westpac mass competition for the first time ever became multiple choice. <laughs> I love multiple choice mathematic tests because those questions where you know you've got 0% chance of getting it right, the odds have now become 25%. It's four answers, 25% chance you're going to get the right answer. And so I remember sitting in this mathematics test and um, as per usual, I'd look at the page with a blank stare, not knowing what on earth it actually meant, X to the power of 2 plus Y to the power of 3. Like, I don't know what that means or why I would ever need that again in my life. And so I sit there with a blank stare, but I thought, well, this is great. It's multiple choice. So A, B, C, D, and I get a bit of a rhythm, D, B, C, A, and I was just, you know, checking all these boxes. And I got to the end of it, and I'd finished in about 12 minutes, and for the rest of the period, everyone else was working away on their mass tests. So you can imagine my surprise. Um, a couple of months later, when they announced the high achievers from every year level, and my name was in the top 10% of the state. <laughs> it was incredible. Woo, woo. 
Part of the recognition of such an achievement was that you would have your name called out in an assembly where in front of the whole school you would go up the front, you would shake the principal's hand and you would get to sort of, you know, give everyone a wave up there. And so the day came when it was my day to go up the front of the assembly. Now we had about 1,200 students, so it was a pretty big deal, a big moment. The day finally came and this was my moment. You know, the crown jewel and all my mathematic achievement was coming to pass. And so... I was waiting for my name to be called, and eventually it was. Luke Williams, year 10, high achiever, mathematics, come on up the front. There was a standing ovation. <laughs> there wasn't really. There was a token clap from a bunch of uninterested and unimpressed students. You know, they've got to clap everyone. So I go up the front, but for me, this was a great moment. So my chest is puffed out, and I'm walking up the, the wooden steps up into this big platform that's this high off the ground, and I'm walking up the steps full of pride. Everything was going really well until I got to the last step. And I had a moment where I, they call it misjudging the step. And on my school shoes, I clomped over, and all of a sudden, that was a really loud noise, but not as loud as me face-planting on the stage in front of 1,200 students. It was not a good moment. I'll never forget walking up to the principal and he was trying his best not to crack up as he shook my hand and went, <coughs> handed me the certificate. But what's even more vivid than that is walking down the other end of the stage with a year seven boy on the front row just laughing and doing this big belly laugh like there was tears coming down his eyes. And I'll never, ever forget that moment. My big moment became my big failure. And I think for me, it was a moment of real clarity that mathematics and multiplication just wasn't for me. Well, today's the last week of our New Things series, and we're finishing this series talking about the importance of multiplication. I don't think this is going to be the best message in the series, but I do think it's probably the most important, because multiplication is God's missionary strategy to reach the world with the gospel. And while many of us may not have been very good at multiplication in our school years, this is the journey of every disciple of Christ. You know, over the last five years, um, some amazing stuff has been developed in our DNA as a church. And let me just say, none of that's happened by accident. We've been very deliberate in setting the culture that we believe would honour Christ in this church. And God has been very gracious to us in causing much of that to become a reality. And so, as you've just heard, we're a church that understands the importance of mission. We're a church that wants to bless our local community We've been a church that has been, you know, they say a lot of churches, 20% do 80% of the work. Well, most of our history has been 80% doing the work. Most people have been involved in serving, which has been extraordinary. We've been a church that's been generous. I'm looking out on a sea of faces of people that have been incredibly generous in the life of this church. We've been a welcoming church, and I hope if you're visiting today that you've felt the embrace of Christ before the service, during the service, and I pray after the service. But over the last, and that's all good stuff that helps come together to form a healthy spiritual family that we call the church. But over the last few years, I've been invited on several occasions to share about church planting in different conferences and forums. And each time in the Q&A, I've been asked the same question. And the question is this, if you were planting a church again tomorrow, what would you do differently? For me, my first answer is always this, I would be more deliberate in getting multiplication into the DNA of our church from day one. Because if there's one thing that hasn't gone deep enough into our DNA yet, it's the principle of multiplication. As a leadership team, we believe that God's going to continue to grow this church. 
He's going to continue to use us to be a witness into the officer community that will be a hub of mission for many years to come. I believe the vision I had in the shower when we started this church, when I started to weep, please don't visualize that shower scene, but in the shower, I just remember weeping when I realized there were people in our region that are far from Jesus, and yet God was going to use us to, to reach some of those people who would come to know Christ. Some of those people are in the room today. Some of those people are watching online. And for me, that's why you plant a church. And that's our heart, to reach people with the gospel. And we believe that God's going to use us to lift Jesus high over this community and to spread out across the southeast of Melbourne. We honestly believe that with all of our heart. But I believe the biggest limitation on the church's mission in the world today is a failure to multiply. And so today I'm going to unpack God's three-part multiplication strategy for the world. And as we reimagine what the future could look like, these three areas are critical. And the three areas are this, disciples who make disciples, leaders who raise leaders, and churches that plant churches. And so let's start with number one, disciples who make disciples. That's the role of every single person in this room who has, made, who has accepted Jesus Christ as their saviour. And so if you remember one thing today, I want you to remember these four words. Multiplication starts with you. Multiplication starts with me. Multiplication starts with each of us. Now, the reason I think multiplication is essential is not just because it's a good idea, but more importantly, because it's a God idea from the very start of creation. He has created and designed us to be multipliers. In fact, the first command ever given by God to humanity is be fruitful and multiply. We just read about it this morning in Genesis chapter 1. This clicker is not working. Which one am I doing it off? Okay, there we go. So God, okay. <laughs> Excellent. There's a delay. All right, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. So from the very beginning, the plan for men and women was multiplication. It's a divine imperative. And I want you to notice that what God says here today is not a suggestion, it's a command. Be fruitful and multiply. Now, in that passage, I must admit, I've read it millions of times over the years, and I've always seen the multiplication part. It's always stood out to me. But what I often skip over is the first part, because the first thing that God says is, be fruitful. Now, in our backyard at home, I've told this story before, but we have an apple tree. And the apple tree uh, is a great tree. In the first season we planted it, we got a small but, but you know, kind of decent crop of apples, but in between the first season and the second season, Kim gave our apple tree a light prune, which was the equivalent of hacking it back to a stump in the ground. <laughs> and so in the second season, we got no apples whatsoever. But now in the third season, after a season of regrowth, nurturing and seeing a counsellor, I'm happy to report that this year our apple tree has gone bananas. Okay, well, not bananas. That'd be weird. But it's gone apples, right? There's millions of apples all over it. In fact, I bought one today. It's kind of a greenish, reddish apple. And this, we've had dozens and dozens of apples this season. Who wants an apple? 
excellent. Glad some of the front row said it, not some in the very back row. That would have been awkward. But as I look at our apple tree now in the backyard, I see a tree that's healthy and it's now doing exactly what it was created to do, bear fruits. In a similar way, you and I have been created by God to bear fruit, and this was the very first command given to humankind. But as we read their story, Adam and Eve, we see that they failed in their mission to be fruitful and multiply when they decided they didn't need God to accomplish it, but they could do it in their own strength. And so as soon as they sinned and rebelled against God and said, no, no, we'll do it ourselves, things started to fall apart. That's why we call it the fall. There was this massive fall. They were cast out of God's presence in the garden, and they were never from that point going to multiply his character, his creativity, or his love apart from him. We cannot multiply that stuff apart from the creator. Now, the truth is they did multiply. And as they did, things got so bad, this is what's recorded about the human race just a short time later. It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. Could you read a more tragic reading of Scripture than that? Absolute fall from what they were created to be, an absolute tragedy. The one thing that's critical to understand is this. We will multiply whether we're fruitful or not. We will multiply whether we're fruitful or not. And so if you spend significant time with someone who's divisive, always critical, gossiping, negative, guess what? They're multiplying. Do you know where they're probably multiplying? In you. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. This is what we see in Adam and Eve. Instead of multiplying godly fruit and representing him well in all of creation, they multiplied sin and rebellion that corrupted all of humanity. Things were so bad that every thought, every inclination of their heart was only evil all the time. And God had had enough. And so we read about it in Genesis that God's judgment came upon their wickedness in the form of a flood. The flood covered the face of earth and it wiped out all of humanity except one family, a righteous man, Noah, and his family. They were spared on the ark as the flood wiped everybody else out. What we're seeing is a reboot of humanity. And so as this family was saved on the ark and as the waters receded, they leave the ark and they start to reestablish themselves. And guess what God's first command is to Noah and his family? Exactly the same as the command given to Adam and Eve in the garden. Be fruitful and multiply. Time and time again, as God calls his people in Scripture to this mission he has for them, we see the same command re-emphasized. We see it in Genesis chapter 12 with Abram. We see it with Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. What I'm trying to get across is this, that the mission of God has never changed. The same command given to all these characters in the Bible is the same command that's given to us. And we see it after Jesus' resurrection. After he's risen from the dead, he gives his followers a mission. He sends us the Holy Spirit so we can accomplish it. And it's known as the Great Commission. Notice again, it's not the Great Suggestion. It's the Great Commission. But what I want us to see this morning is this, that the Great Commission 
is simply a restating of the original mission given to Adam and Eve. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, multiply, make disciples fruitful of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We could summarize that command with one short sentence, and it's this. Be fruitful and multiply. Adam and Eve... They were cast out of God's presence because of their sin. They lost the ability to multiply God's character. But now through Christ, it's what we've sung about this morning, our sins can be forgiven. And because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we have the ability to multiply or make disciples. And he promises he will be with us to the end of the age. And so part one of God's mission strategy is to reach the world with the gospel through disciples making disciples. And so if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, this is your mission. It's not just for the pastors, not just for the leaders, it's not just for the more mature Christians. If you've given your life to Jesus, your calling, your purpose, your mission is to make disciples. God's command to each of us, be fruitful, multiply, go and make disciples. And so a couple of questions to answer. To, to answer the question, are we multiplying disciples? Are we raising disciples? First question is this, is, is my life fruitful? Because it's meant to be. Jesus says, every good tree bears good fruit. In John 15, 8, he says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so is my life fruitful? Well, how do we know if our lives are fruitful? Well, Jesus gave us the two greatest commands, didn't he? Love God, love others. And so are we loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our minds, with all of our strength? And are we loving our neighbor as ourselves? We also know that the fruit of the Spirit is. We have a checklist there for us in Scripture. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If we look at ourselves, if we turn the mirror on our lives, are these the things that are flowing from our lives? Because this is what it looks like to bear much fruit. Second question to ask is, who am I discipling? Who am I discipling? Multiplication is the heartbeat of God. It's the role of every disciple. And God's missionary strategy for this earth is disciples who make disciples. But I've got to say, if every Christian was living this out, I reckon our world would look like a very different place. A very, very different place. Jesus not only commands us to do this, but he modeled it in his life. Jesus saw discipleship as one of the highest priorities in his earthly ministry. One researcher a number of years ago did a bunch of research on the Gospels and found that three quarters of the Gospels emphasizes Jesus training the 12 disciples. Three quarters of the Gospels. Of Jesus' recorded time in the Gospels, he spent 73% of the time with the 12 and the rest with the masses. It equates to 46 events with the few and 17 with the masses. And I think this is really significant. In John chapter 3, verse 22, it says, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them. It's one of those sentences we read in Scripture. We kind of just skip over it. Yeah, yeah, we, he spent some time with the disciples. But I actually think it's incredibly significant. 
Because when you look at the Greek word for spent time with them, and you translate it, it actually translates in the Greek, (laughs) self-control, patience, joy, diatribo. Dia means against, tribo means rub. It's a significant word right there. It means to rub against. It's to rub off on somebody. So the question is, who are you rubbing off on? You're fruitful. Now, who are you rubbing off on? Remember, you will rub off on others whether you're fruitful or not. And so be fruitful and rub off on others. And so who are you discipling? so important that we can answer that question. And for some of us, it might be reading the Bible with someone once a week. And just going through the truths of Scripture. For others, it may be a friend with a, a walk with a friend to share life and encourage them in their faith. For others, it might be an older person in the church grabbing a younger person and mentoring them. And for the young families here today, you might think, well, I don't have time for that. Well, let me tell you the most important role you have is your children. And it's one thing to raise children. It's another thing to disciple them. One's intentional. One just happens. And so discipling our kids to come to know Jesus is the most important thing we have in our lives as parents. And so who are you discipling? This is not an optional extra if we have some spare time. This is God's purpose for our life and part of his design to reach the world with the gospel. Strategy number one, disciples who make disciples. Strategy number two is leaders who raise leaders. Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. A shortage of leaders is nothing new. It was an issue in Jesus' day and it's an issue in ours. But Jesus was brilliant at raising leaders. In three short years of ministry, he invested in a small group of leaders who multiplied and through their lives changed the world. This morning, we're here today as followers of Christ because these early leaders didn't just do a task, task, they actually excelled in multiplication. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul says to Timothy, And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. And I love this because there's four generations in that one sentence. Paul is passing on to Timothy, who's entrusting to other reliable people who will then teach others. What you see there is there's an expectation of multiplication. And so I think Paul took his cue from Jesus, and there's so much we can learn from Jesus' life. And today, I want to share two simple tools that Jesus used in order to raise leaders. And the first one is what is known as I see in you conversations. I see in you conversations. All of us have an opportunity and responsibility to discover what our God-given gifts are and then use them for God's glory, right? All of us have that responsibility. But my experience has been that other people often see those things in us before we see them in ourselves. Dave Ferguson, in his book Hero Maker, says, I-C-N-U are the four most important letters of the alphabet. What do they mean? We'll say them slowly. I-C-N-U. Part two of God's multiplication strategy is raising up leaders who have the ability to raise other leaders. And in order to do that, we need to identify the potential in others. And I want to use my wife again as an example in this sermon today. 
My wife, Kim, you saw her singing up the front today. Uh, when we got married, the thought of her singing up the front in a worship service was so foreign to me. I never thought that would happen. It's incredible what God has done in her life. But I remember when I first met Kim, she was unbelievably introverted. Some of you can probably relate to that today. She was just incredibly, incredibly shy. And I think it's fair to say a little socially awkward at dinner parties. She was the queen of the one-word answer. Kim, how's your week been? Good. Anything interesting? Nah. And then I would feel this overwhelming pressure to keep the conversation going, which is why I think I talk so much today. But I remember back then, I was working in a large Pentecostal church where I was on the staff, and one day a lady from church approached Kim and asked her if she'd like to join the Mainly Music team. Now, when this happened, I thought it was almost comical that this lady had approached the, the most introverted person she could possibly find to see if she would like to join a ministry where she'd be expected to stand up on a platform, shake instruments, dance and sing in front of a room full of uh, parents and children. Now, for me, that sounds like a really poor multiplication strategy. And, and from what I knew of Kim at the time, I thought her immediate answer would be no to an opportunity such as that. But to my great surprise, she said yes, and she came home and she told me all about it. And so she joined the Mainly Music team, and this lady who had invited her on started to teach her on how to be a leader. And for Kim, it was a really big step. A few years later, I resigned from that position. I took a role at Beaconsville Baptist Church. We moved over, and a few weeks after we started, Kim said to me, what do you think if I was to pioneer a Mainly Music ministry at Beaconsfield? I said, that would be amazing, but who is this woman and what has she done with my wife? <laughs> and so she started Mainly Music, which meant she recruited a team of people around. She started to develop them, give them opportunities, and Mainly Music became a thriving ministry. And then we were called to plant Follow, and so we stepped out to Follow. Kim kept leading Mainly Music at Beaconsfield, and a few weeks later she said, what do you think if I was to start a Mainly Music at Follow? And so she recruited a whole bunch of people, and over the years now, she's been sowing into their life and giving them opportunities, and we've got a whole ministry now full of leaders. And it's incredible that it started with someone who didn't see themselves as a leader. The most shy, introverted person you could ever meet has been transformed into a hip-shaking, instrument-playing, dancing singer in one of the most incredible ministries in our church, which is awesome, right? It's the way God works. He can use any of us. And it's one of the most incredible ministries we've had since we started following. In fact, Angela, who got baptized a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, first came in contact with follow through mainly music. And it's incredible. It all started with a leader who saw something in Kim that nobody else saw. And she was brave enough to have an I see in you conversation. This is exactly what Jesus did. When he identified people to join his ministry team, Jesus had this innate ability to spot in people things that no one else could see. And so when he started his public ministry, one day he's walking along the Sea of Galilee. And there's a couple of fishermen there, and he spots them. Peter and Andrew, they're fishing from the shore. And Jesus comes up to this rat-a-tat kind of bunch, and he says, come follow me. Then he walks on a bit further, and there's James and John, also fishermen. And he says, come follow me. Then he goes and finds Matthew, a tax collector. These people are the most despised people in their culture. And Jesus saw something in them that nobody else saw. And he took these uneducated, ordinary, unschooled people who, let's be honest, if they had potential for ministry, they would have already been snapped up by another rabbi. 
Make no mistakes, these guys were the rejects, the outcasts, the leftovers, the no-hopers in the eyes of everyone else. But Jesus didn't see them that way. He took off the, the worldly filter we often have, and he had the filter where he saw potential in people. And he wants us as leaders to do the same, to see potential in others. He didn't have much to work with, and yet the latent potential that existed, he identified. And I think the churches are much like that. I think this room is full of latent potential that's yet to be unlocked. Some of it has, some of it is still waiting to be unlocked. And it has to be if we're going to have the impact that God wants us to have, as every person plays their part in the body. And so tool number one is I see in you conversations. The second tool is apprenticeship. You've noticed today that we're doing apprenticeship actively. We've got um, Charlie up the front. Last week we had um, Ellie Mustin for the first time up here. And the week before we had Noah Tibbers-Wilson for the first time. And then a week before that we had Josiah. Uh, in our life groups we are raising up apprentice leaders. We're, we're asking every life group leader to be prayerfully asking for more leaders that they can apprentice so that they can step out after time and actually start more groups so that when people come into our church we don't have to put the sign up that says no room in the inn. I want to join a life group. Last year, I dreaded that conversation because you think, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to go to all the life group leaders and they're going to say, sorry, we're full. There's no more room. And so someone new is coming and there's no group for them to join where they can be discipled and grow in their faith. And so we're encouraging every life group leader. It's not just doing a task. It's actually prayerfully seeking an apprentice that they can intentionally equip with the purpose that they will step out and start another group. And so there's this little tool that Jesus used, and it's been articulated in the last few years. It's the I do tool. It's this. This is what he did with his disciples. I do it. I'm going to go and do the ministry. And you're going to come alongside me. You're going to watch. And then afterwards, we're going to talk about it. And the next time I'm going to do, this time you're going to help me. And then at the end of it, we're going to talk. And the third time, you're going to do it now. I'm going to help you. And then we're going to talk. And then you're going to do it. I'm going to watch. And we're going to talk. And then eventually you're going to do it. Someone else is going to watch. And then you're going to talk. And this is what the process of apprenticeship actually is. And it seems so simple. But if we could do this well, it could transform this church. It could transform this community. As we multiply leadership in our church. So strategy number one, disciples who make disciples. Strategy number two, Leaders who raise leaders. And finally, strategy number three, churches that plant churches. The story of the Bible from the Gospels onwards is a story of church planting. Primarily through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul went on three major, perhaps four major missionary journeys covering much of the ancient world. And he had a simple strategy. The strategy was to go into these significant cities and preach the gospel so that people would respond and give their life to Jesus. And then he would stay there and he would appoint leaders and they would plant a church and then he would leave, he would go to the next city, he'd do exactly the same thing and his expectation is that every church he planted would then multiply itself again. This is the strategy of the New Testament and it's why we're sitting here today. Subsequently, millions of people have been saved through churches being planted right across the world. Peter Wagner, in his book, Church Planting for a Greater Harvest, says the single most effective evangelistic tool or methodology under heaven is planting new churches. And I agree. Follow, it's been an incredible five years. We've seen people come to know Jesus. We've seen so many of you grow in your faith. We've seen many baptisms. 
We have blessed our community. I honestly believe officer is better because Follow Baptist Church exists. People fill the Holy Spirit, going and living on mission every day. This is a better community because we're here. But you know what? There's other places with great gospel opportunity that don't have a single church. No one to reach out to the people in that community. They desperately need churches. And if we have the vision, the faith, and the capacity to be part of that solution, how selfish would it be to simply be comfortable and say, we're happy here in our little church and do nothing about it? What a missed opportunity that would be. Now, last year I was appointed as the Victorian director of the New Thing Church Planning Network that has planted and is planting churches right across the globe. In Victoria, we have a current goal of establishing networks in the north, south, east, and west of Melbourne of churches cross denominations that will work together to plant more churches. And on Thursday, I went for a road trip to the west and the north with a friend of mine, Kim Hammond. We jumped in the car and went and met with some leaders in the north and in the west. And let me tell you, it was one of the most encouraging days I've had for for months, maybe years. As we sat with pastors in the north and the west who are connecting with other pastors in their region, and they've actually drawn out a big map, they've marked where all the churches are, and they've, op- they've identified all the places that don't have a church, and they're now praying together. You've got a Pentecostal person sitting there with a Presbyterian person, sitting there with a Baptist person, with a uniting person. Who gives a stuff about all that stuff? We want people to know Jesus, right? And so they're coming together. It's no longer territorial about this is my space and these are my people and we're just going to look after our little church. No, no. They're coming together and they're saying we're going to work together, pray together, journey together to see the gospel reach this city. It's not about building my church. It's about the city being reached for Jesus. Let me tell you, it's incredibly exciting to hear their stories of what God is doing. And I believe he wants to do it in this region as well. If you are new at Follow Here, You may not have heard this before, but I want you to know that we are a church that planted pregnant. We planted pregnant. In other words, we're going to give birth to more churches. That's always been the goal of this church. It's always been the vision. In the southeast of Melbourne, we believe God has given us a mandate to spread out and plant churches where there are not currently churches. And it's going to be hard. And it's going to require us to step into what we know as the faith zone. We can't do it. We don't have the time. We don't have the resources. We don't have the people. But what we do have is a God who says, with me, there's nothing impossible. And God said, you know, if you're willing to step out, I will use you to do beyond what you can do. I have the cattle on a thousand hills. My arm is not too short. I'm a supernatural God. And as you step out in obedience, I will provide. And so I want to encourage us to be thinking about and praying about planting more churches. And you know, you might think it's a Funny time to be talking about. Just come out of COVID. Everyone's a bit uncertain. You know, oh, geez, that wise. I'm finding that people are more open to the gospel right now than they have been for years. Their lives are so unsettled. They're thinking, what is this all about? They're fearful. And we have such an opportunity to step into that space and say, we have the answer. His name is Jesus. So I want to encourage us to be prayerfully thinking about that. Exponential is the biggest church planning conference in the world. And on the screen, you'll see the language they have formed over many years describing churches in the world. Level number one is declining church. Level number two is plateauing church. I reckon about 80% of the churches in the world fit into those two categories. If nothing changes, the impact we have is going to dwindle down significantly. Level three is a growing church. By God's grace, we've been a growing church most of our history here at Follow. 
But our next step is to become a multiplying church, to send more people out, some of our brightest, some of our best, to plant churches in places where the gospel's not being heard. Level five is a church that multiplies churches that multiply. This is our aim, to be a level five church. This will be the legacy of this church, not just a great church in officer, but we're part of a church planning movement across this city that sees, I, I hope, thousands and thousands of people come to know Jesus. If that doesn't get you excited, we'll start with strategy number one, disciple-making disciples. Last year was a really difficult year. Let's just call it as it was. I think last year, for me, it felt like walking through mud, working hard, really hard, lots of hours, getting nowhere. And it felt like the, the further we went into the year, the more we went down into the mud, and the more for me I struggled to have any vision. But I really feel that God is actually bringing us out of the mud now, and we're re-emerging, and He is doing a new thing. Amen. And He says to us, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland, to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. You know, there's so much ministry and mission ahead of us, and it all hinges on multiplication. And multiplication starts with you. As we become a church of disciples who make disciples and leaders who raise leaders, I believe God will use us to be a church that plants churches. And so this morning, I want to encourage you. Lift your eyes to heaven, hearts full of faith. Be fruitful and multiply for the glory of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we just thank you that your wisdom is well beyond our wisdom. As we look at Scripture, we see simple tools and simple strategies that you have given us to reach the world. And Lord, we confess we haven't done them well. Lord, help us to be disciples who make disciples. Every one of us, praying and thinking about who we're investing into right now so that they would grow in their faith. Lord, help us to be a bunch of leaders who raise leaders. Help us to identify people that maybe don't even see themselves as leaders and yet they have so much potential to be unlocked. Help us to be leaders who raise leaders. And Lord, I pray that you would grip our heart with a vision to be a church that plants churches, that works with other churches in Melbourne, cross denominations, to reach this city for Jesus. doesn't matter if it's a big church or a little church. Maybe some churches, all they can offer is we're in a prayer walk in your region. For others, they'll be able to give finance and people and prayer and all those things that are important. But together, your word says, where there is unity, you command your blessing. So I pray that you bring churches right across this city together with a vision that's bigger, bigger than our own little patch. But it's a vision to see your name lifted high over this city for the glory of God. We pray all this in the powerful and life-changing name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our weekly message. If you live in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, we'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning service. All the information can be found on our website, follow.church. You can also follow us on social media at Follow Baptist Church.